again. It's the 2nd of April and we're going to be doing hopefully week 12 on the Beatitudes of King and His Kingdom but Joyce is just going to share the um, dream that she had because I think it's actually relevant with things. Right, I was in a house looking out of a window over a hill and I called out to see what I could see which was four to six little badgers with baby badgers. I could tell that because they had a white stripe down the back and they were scurrying away and then the second frame was I was holding something small and furry and it scurried away to join the other two, uh, the others. Um, and then I was aware of two large badgers. They were almost the size of polar bears. This is a dream, remember. And that probably the mum and dad. And they ran towards a funnel, which was like a perspex, very wide-mouthed funnel made of something clear, um, which ran through like a tube into a circus trailer and they were they were all captured the the, the mum and dad and the little ones were all running through this, uh, this tube into this circus trailer which had bars on it and then the dream ended well we prayed about it initially i didn't really get much of it and then suddenly i felt the lord showed me mum and dad represented church leaders the babies represented believers, young believers, all ages believers, running around in freedom at first. Until yes. suddenly they're led by the leaders down this perspex tube which you, you couldn't, you, it didn't even appear to be there because it was into the circus and the performance of Christianity. It was about performance Christianity and they were entrapped they were in bondage and there's I could see the circus ring and them all performing in the middle and all the audience up the sides clapping and shouting and enjoying it but the nub of it was performance Christianity so if anybody else gets anything else as an interpretation that would be really good um, the other thing that uh, goes with it um, on Monday, is it Monday? Yeah, I was just looking at my daily reading and the Lord just said, read. So, where I was, was in uh, Luke 5, 33. And I read from verse 33 and then I hit verse 36. drop of water <laughs> then they said to him why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees but yours eat and drink and he said can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them then they will fast in those days and at that point I realized Jesus was referring to himself there as the bridegroom and they couldn't see it then he says something very interesting and I've never spotted this before you probably have and he spoke a parable to them no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one otherwise the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old and no one puts new wine into new old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the skin and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined 
but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk the old wine, immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. What struck me there was I had never seen that actually you were tearing a piece from a new garment to patch an old one, which ruined both of them. I was always of the impression that it was a piece of something you were trying to patch the old with. Do you remember what I said on Saturday about doing a makeover of the old car, making mm. it look like new? So God was saying, when I'm doing a new thing, it's no good tearing a lump out of the new and sticking it onto the old, because both are going to be ruined. Mm. And that is what he's saying here to them. And with the wine, I could never understand this before either. Having drunk the old, they say, the old is better. Don't make us move out of our traditions. Don't make us move out of what we used to. We've always done it like this. We like it like this. They don't say, wow, new wine. I've heard loads and loads of things about new wines and wineskins and things like that. But it's never actually hit that point that Jesus showed me there um, on Monday. That everything I've been saying on Saturday, he was like confirming with this scripture. When he does something new, he turns his back on the old, don't try bolting it on. Oh. It's a complete new garment, if you like. And I, I just, I could not think about anything else all day long. But that. Because I got, I, show, I was trying to show Joyce and I got a, a two, you know me, a couple of bits of toilet paper, I stand at the top of the stairs. So I got the crumpled piece of toilet paper in one hand and a new sheet in the other. I said, OK, this is the old garment. I'm just going to make a patch on it. So I tore a piece out of the piece that was all nice, which has ruined that. And of course it wouldn't go on the other bit either. So neither were any good. Wouldn't stick to the old. But I'd ruin the new by tearing it. I mean, you're not going to go and buy a new blouse and then promptly cut a lump out of it to patch an old blouse, are you? It's when I don't know. Maybe it struck you before, but it never struck me before. So forcibly, right between the eyes, and the new wine. Immediately, no one having drunk the old wine immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. Mm. And I like it like this. And Joyce's dream, I felt, was that these youngsters were in a, in a wide place. They were in freedom. But the leaders led them into bondage, into performance Christianity. And I thought, something profound is going on. Profound. And I'd like if you would share what you saw last Wednesday. And she didn't tell any of us. Get this. This happened, apparently, while we were here last week. Well, I was sitting, sitting here and you were speaking and it was like the hem of his robe and it was luxuriant, it wasn't sort of, you know, frayed at the edges, swept it across here and it was like, wow! And I looked over at Beryl and I thought, God, didn't you feel that? You know, Beryl was sort of talking, I thought, well, I don't really want to interrupt and say anything. The king was among us and she didn't say <laughs> It wasn't until Saturday in the morning when you quoted Isaiah 6, 6 1. verse 1, 
where, and we looked it up, didn't we? Because I couldn't remember where it was. I was writing something else down at the time. And I thought that is it. That's what happened. In the, it said in the year of that King Isaiah died. I saw in a vision. Uh, was it the Lord, Lord high and lifted up, mm. and his sitting train on sitting on the throne, and his train and filled his train the temple. Filled the temple, thinking that's it. That was the hem of his garment, wash like this. Mm. And it was definitely wow, like this. It, it wasn't, you know, mm. you know, like. Mm. Whoa, and to, to to just sort of put that together, Graham Cook on one of his CDs. I think it's one of the soaking CDs. No, no. One of the Ruthers LCDs from early on. He says the time will come when we will say the king is here. The king is here. The king is here. And I think we're in that time. The king is here. Because he's coming for his kingdom, which is us. And I really feel that all these things coming together like this, we are coming into the kingdom era. We're not coming into the church era, we're coming into the kingdom era because some, I don't know how long ago, he said to me, you stand on the culmination, the very edge of the culmination of the church age. So I've been looking for it. Because if you stand on the edge of the end of something, you're looking for the beginning of something new. And it's like, He's not finished with the church, but he has finished with it being something we do. We are now becoming what he wants us to become, which is his bride, his church and his army. Because all of this is going to lead into warfare. Because where the king is, he attracts warfare. So the next conference in the series is about spiritual warfare. As I looked at it, I thought, Lord, I can see the way you've been leading us. He told us about the role of us girls, then he told us about what biblical submission was and how it's submission to him. Then he told us about the church in the 21st century, and then he's going to say, and this is where we're going, folks. Because I'm raising up a warrior bride. And we're all in the army, whether we're foot soldiers or generals, we're all in the army. And I've listened to one of Graham's, the first half of Graham's Why um, the Warrior Conference oh. CDs, and I'm thinking, I am light years behind what he's talking about. I don't even know that I want to go there. So my prayer is having to be, Lord, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go there, but the language that he uses is incredible because it presupposes you're already in a certain position so what I'm looking at and seeing is that I have got to start bringing people up to speed to get us into alignment so that we're even able to listen to what he's saying let alone being able to do it mm. he's talking about warriors and as I said there are not many of those Someone years ago. Oh, I know Ben and in the council room. I'm a warrior. No, you're not, darling. I am. I'm a warrior. So this argument went on for about five minutes, and I dropped it. And I thought I wouldn't do it now. <laughs> I've learned so much. Are oh, you, darling? That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 
now I'm beginning to see what the qualities of a warrior are, but even so, as a foot soldier, you need to know how to hold your gun. Which we're just going to find ourselves in training one way or another because we're all in the battle and we need to be able to stand at whatever place, whatever point we're in. It was the way he prayed a prayer. I thought, talk about taking the enemy on full on and full frontal. I can't even repeat the prayer he prayed, let alone anything else. <laughs> because he was, he was like, okay then, you know, like David, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Let's have him. You know, it was that sort of thing. Up for the fight? Oh, what? No wonder he frightens to laugh at me. Anyway, so there we are. It's like a continuation of, um, it's like a continuation of Saturday, really. I'm really, really, really getting excited about the next uh, conference, which is not the conference, the next Baton Day, which is in May, but I've got a lot of a foot slog to do before I get there because I feel that I've got to start with sh showing us the growth process you know, where we are, where God wants to take us and where you end up so that you go through the whole thing and see how you get there and you make choices about whether you want to go for that or where you want to stop along the way. So you'll be seeing the Nepios to Huios thing, you know, from a child right through to the full whack and in between some spiritual disciplines. Anyway, so I'm really excited. How many of you were here when I read a, a part of Escape from Christendom? Was it only a couple of you? You were here? You were there? And Carol was, were you? Were you? Or was that the week you were sick? You haven't heard it, have you? No, you haven't heard it. Have you heard it? I can't remember. Well, okay. But just, just, it's, it's a, it's just for... Um, I just read it. It is, it is an allegory, a bit like um, Pilgrim's Progress. Um, it's called Escape from Christendom, and it's a man, by a man called Ro Robert Burnell. And in the front of it, it says, Attempts to contact the author for permission to reprint were unsuccessful. It says that the reprints are distributed without cost, but that was 1995, and now they're actually charging for them. I think I'm going to order some because for me it just about speaks of where we're at right now. In my dream, I, bear in mind Joyce's dream and the fact that these little things were free running around there and then they were taken in to perform, they were, you know that the circus um, wagons have got bars on them because they've got the animals inside. And I saw that immediately Joyce was talking about this thing, I could see it's bondage there in it and then of course they're doing their performance. So what they're doing is performing for the people who are looking at them. In my dream, I see the lone figure of a man following a road. As the sun sets beneath the hills, a city comes into view. Nearing it, the traveller sees what appears to be a large group of churches. Spires and crosses pierce the skyline. His pace quickens. Is this his destination? He passes an imposing structure, a neon sign flashing Cathedral of the Future. Farther on, a floodlit stadium supports a billboard boasting that 50,000 people crowd into evangelistic meetings there three nights a week. Beyond this, modest New Testament chapels and Hebrew Christian synagogues cluster together on the street front. Is this the city of God, I hear the traveller ask a woman at the information booth in the central square. No, this is Christian city, she replies. 
But I thought this road led to the City of God, he exclaims with great disappointment. That's what we all thought when we arrived, she see, answers, her tone sympathetic. This road that continues up the mountain, doesn't it, he asks. I wouldn't really know, she answers blankly. I watch the man turn away from her and trudge up the mountain in the gathering darkness. Reaching the top, he stares out into the blackness. It looks as though there's nothing, absolutely nothing beyond. With a shudder, he retraces his steps into Christian City and takes a room at a hotel. Strangely unrefreshed, at dawn he rises and follows the road up the mountain again. <clears throat> In the brightening light of the sun, he discovers that what seemed like a void the night before is actually a desert. Dry, hot, rolling sand as far as the eye can see. The road narrows to a path which rises over a dune and disappears. Can this trail lead to the city of God, he wonders aloud? It appears to be quite deserted and rarely travelled. Indecision slowing his steps, he again returns to Christian City and has lunch in a Christian restaurant. Over the music of a gospel record, I hear him ask the man at the next table, that path up the mountain where the des desert begins, does it lead to the city of God? Don't be a fool, his neighbour replies quickly. Everyone who's ever taken that path has been lost, swallowed up by the desert. If you want God, there are plenty of good churches in this town. You should pick one and settle down. After leaving the restaurant looking weary and confused, the traveller fi finds a spot under a tree and sits down. An ancient man approaches and begins pleading with him in urgent tones. If you stay here in Christian City, you'll wither away. You must take the path. I belong to the desert you saw earlier. I was sent here to encourage you to press on. You'll travel many miles, you'll be hot and thirsty, but angels will walk with you and there will be strings of, streams of water along the way. And at your journey's end you will reach the city of God. You've never seen such beauty. And when you arrive, the gates will open for you, for you are expected. What you say sounds wonderful, the traveller replied, but I'm afraid I'd never survive that desert. I'm probably better off here in Christian City. The Ancient One smiles. Christian city is the place for those who want religion but don't want to lose their lives. The desert is the territory of those whose hearts are so thirsty for God they are willing to be lost in him. My friend, when Peter brought his boat to land, forsook all and followed Jesus, he was being swallowed by the desert. When Matthew left his tax collecting and Paul his Phariseeism, they too were leaving a city much like this to pursue Jesus out over the dunes and be lost in God. So don't be afraid, many have gone before you. Then I see the traveller look away from the old man's burning eyes to the bustle of Christian city. He sees busy people running, hurrying hither and yon with their Bibles and shiny attache cases, looking like men and women who know their destiny. But it's clear that they lack something which the old man with eyes like a prophet possesses. In my dream, I imagine the traveller turning things over in his mind. If I do go out there, how can I be sure I will really be lost in God? In the Middle Ages, Christians tried to lose themselves in God by putting the world behind them and entering a monastery. And how disappointed many of them were to find that the world was still there. And the people here in Christian City who are preparing to go to some jungle or neglected slum. Maybe they're coming closer to what it means to be lost in God. 
But then a person can travel to the ends of the earth and not lose himself. I just am reminded right that minute of a dream that David had and Joyce interpreted it because I couldn't make it not tell of it. I think it was along the lines of he was taking communion, wasn't it? And the Pope was there. And as the Pope took communion, blood came out of his mouth. And Joyce said immediately, transubstantiation. Because Catholics believe that the, the elements are the body and blood of Jesus. And of course young David is finding, and he's been able to compromise with it so far, that the things that he believes, uh, they don't believe in the Anglican Church. And the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church are getting closer and closer together, so the day is coming when he's going to have to face what they believe about communion. And just as I was reading that, I just suddenly saw the picture he must have seen with the Pope with all this coming out of his mouth. We are up against it right now that God is actually going to face us up with stuff and we're going to have to make decisions about which side of the fence we're going to jump down on. I remember a girl who was with us here in the, in the summer, I nearly said, a few couple of months, six weeks ago, she was over from Australia. Believe it or not, God brought her all the way over here to come here. And she could not believe that the lake of fire existed and that everyone would not end up all right at the end of the day. So I said to her, what does that do to Jesus' sacrifice then? Why do you bother to come? Oh no, I can't face that. And I was thinking in the bath this morning, I muse a lot in the bath, she's going to have to face that. Sooner or later she's going to have to face that God is not who she thinks he is. She's got a picture of who he is and it's wrong. And she's going to have to line herself up with the scriptures or she ain't going to, she's on a hide into nowhere. She just go around and round. Anyway, the traveller turns around again to see the old person starting up the road for the narrow road down to the desert's edge. Suddenly his decision mobilises him and he leaps to his feet chasing after the old man. When he catches up, they exchange no words. The ancient man makes an abrupt turn to the right and guides him up still another slope which steepens as it rises towards a peak shrouded in a luminous cloud. The climb upward is a very difficult one. The traveller appears dizzy and begins to stagger. His guide pauses and offers him a drink from a flask hanging over his shoulder. Panting, he drinks it in gulps. No water ever tasted sweeter than this, he says with great feeling. Thank you. Now look there. The old man points beyond them to a vista, not nearly as monotonous and desolate as it seemed earlier. The desert below has taken on many colours and gradation. In the far distance a blazing light is throbbing and moving on the surface of the horizon like a living thing. There is the city of God. But before you reach it, you will have to pass through those four wildernesses you see. Directly below us is the wilderness of forgiveness. The traveller notices small dim figures making their way slowly in the direction of the city, separated from each other by many miles. How can they survive the loneliness? asks the traveller. Wouldn't they benefit from travelling together? Well, they aren't really alone. Each one of them is accompanied by the forgiveness of God. They are being swallowed up by the desert of the Lord's vast mercy. 
the Holy Spirit is saying to them as they travel, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They are made whole as they travel. Just beyond there's an expanse of blue. Is it the sea? inquires the traveller. It looks like water, but it's a sea of sand. That's the wilderness of worship. Here, look through these glasses and you will see people will walk in there too. Notice how they begin to group themselves together here. They are having their first taste of the joy of the city, worship. They're discovering how they were made for the worship of God. It's becoming their life, the white-hot source of everything they do. But don't people also worship back in Christian city? What's so special about that wilderness? Worship, that is true worship, can begin only when a life has been utterly abandoned to the desert of God's presence. Out there the heart begins to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Looking beyond the blue wilderness to where the desert rises in red and fiery mountains, the old man explains to the traveller that among those reddish mountains is the wilderness of prayer. Passing through that wilderness, travellers find it necessary to turn away from every distraction and concentrate on prayer. They quickly learn there's no possible way for them to survive but by crying out to God continuously. By the time they reach the outer extremes of that wilderness, prayer is their consuming passion and their supreme joy. It appears at first that the city of God is just beyond the wilderness of prayer, but there's one more wilderness hidden by those mountains, which you will pass through before you reach your destination. It is simply called the harvest. You'll know it when you reach it. And beyond the harvest is the city itself. Your name is known there. Your arrival is awaited with eagerness. Come, let's begin our journey. Nightfall doesn't seem to be a particularly propitious time to begin a journey like this, he says. Don't go back to Christian City, the old man exhorts, gazing at him earnestly. Not even at this hour. That way I could get a good night's sleep and start first thing in the morning, the traveller adds hopefully. But your rest is out there, the old man urges. Walk on now, out into the desert. The Holy Spirit will help you. Don't be afraid to be lost in God. You'll find your life nowhere else I think somewhere uh, that's just the first um, chapter I won't go on now he talks about the spires and um, the media coverage and the bookshops and the tapes and everything that is available in Christian City it's quite um, a thought provoking little book We'll, we will get round to the Beatitudes in a minute, but I believe that we're in a time where crossless Christianity, as I would call it, won't cut it any longer. Because that is the performance Christianity thing. We're not called, actually, to crossless Christianity. We're called to be crucified with Christ. So that it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And for so long the church has not actually preached or taught the full gospel message which is for me to live is Christ to die as gain his whole purpose in calling us to himself is that he might have bodies to inhabit and work through so we do get to choose how far we'll go what's Jesus say anyone who will lose his life will gain it but he who seeks to keep his life will lose it it doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation but you will lose 
the benefit of not living for yourself but living for the purposes of God. It's not even about living for other people. It's living so that he may live his life through you. Because we can say, oh, people are so kind and they're so generous and they're so... It, is, it doesn't cut it. They can be naturally kind. What is important is God's life living through us doing what he wants to do. I read something last night that set me back on my ears because I thought I have thought this is the way it is and I would never have dared articulate it. What I do for you guys I do for him, not for you. Now I'm saying that because it is no longer I that live but Christ that lives in me. So what I do I do because it is his will that I do it, not because you have a need. I'm not need driven. I am not driven to actually supply what you need. I am driven to obey my master and he supplies what you need. I had to I have thought it for quite some time. It's one of those areas, it's a pocket over here that I wouldn't let myself go to because I thought that is too radical to say to someone, I love you because God loves you. The love that I feel for you is not my natural love, it is God's love for you. They would promptly say, well that's nice. Thank you very much. Don't want it because we're so often offended in the body of Christ. But actually what you're getting is the pure love of God that doesn't want to hook you into doing anything for me because I want to give you something. So this whole issue, which we, we will be talking about probably till the king comes, of Eros and Agape is absolutely central to where the church is going to be moving in this new era. We have to have an understanding of what our fallen nature love is like so that we can see how far we are away from displaying the love of God in whatever we do. The booklet I was reading was by Eric Mumford, who is Bob Mumford's son. And he runs a thing called Father's House, called by the Lord to bring in children that, he, that the Lord directs him to bring in, not a catch-all, just the ones. And he said the first thing we had to say to them was, and that was so hard for children who were already rejected, we are not calling you in because we love you, because we have selected you. We are calling you in because God is calling you in. It's totally different because it transcends the human relationship and puts them immediately in touch with their father. Now if you work this through, through what has happened in the church where people have got so fixated on leadership in the charismatic churches, you will see how wrong the path is that we've been following. Because when the church is shaken and it falls, the leadership fall, the people fall with it because they've had their eyes on the people, not on the king. If you preach king and kingdom, people will not have their eyes on the leadership. They will have their eyes on the king and the kingdom cannot be shaken. You see the total difference? Because if you are relying on a person, God's going to make jolly sure that that person topples off. They're going to do it. 
I've only found that people are relying on me when I've had a, a sudden thing happen to me and Joyce has said you had to come off your pedestal. The truth when it comes is always negative at first. I have not blessed her for that. <laughs> Neither have I blessed the person who stuck me up on the pedestal so I had to fall off it. <laughs> but it's always taught me a good lesson. Now I'm understanding. I'm beginning to get a glimpse. And God has just got hold of his church and said, No, screw that, we're doing something different. You've got to see the purpose for which you were called. Because when you do, your heart just it just is exhilarated. And Jesus did that for me. He, sh he took you to God all the That's time. The he took all the light off himself. And took you to the Father. Mm. What do we take people to? Our church? Come to our church? You know, it's what I was saying on Saturday. It's always, but the kingdom is not in word, but in power. In the demonstration of the Spirit and power. Paul said. Anyway, okay, that's a side issue, but we will be working on that. So there we go. So now we have Beatitudes, week twelve. Won't surprise you to know it's headed up a king and his kingdom. See, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you like it is, and I won't take you any way that I haven't gone myself, because Lord said long time ago do not teach anything you have not lived so I can't teach it if I haven't lived it I know people who do teach it and they haven't lived it uh, and sooner or later God will call a number because they'll say will you teach it now you're going to live it so last week we didn't actually get round to looking at the Beatitudes at all so this week I, I want us to get back to them and we look briefly at two types of trust and I'll come back to that later. Uh, but this week I want us to learn from the practical lessons God's been teaching us. Because it's out of the crucible of experience that we learn his ways. And a crucible is something that metal is put in and heat is applied. It's not a nice little cold little bowl there, it's got a gas ring underneath it. Last week we were enmeshed in what was happening to June, but uh, for those of you who don't know, June has been going steadily downhill. They'll go back a bit. Two years ago was it she left work come Christmas? She was retired on medical grounds. God said you're now in my employ and he gave her conditions of employment, which we thought was made us grin, we thought that's nice. He said, I'm your employer, I will supply everything. Uh, the only caveat is you do what I tell you, because you're in my employ. So that was fine. Uh, but from just, then she joined us as a trustee and began to take on jobs that needed doing round here. You, those of you who know me know I don't know anything about technical things. I've tried to keep away from it. I'm having to learn again now. Um, so she took on all the IT stuff and I began to give her jobs to do and to, can you do that? Yeah, fine, thank you, all lovely. But what I began to see was that the things that I gave her weren't coming back. They weren't getting done and, and the circulation list is a case in point now. I gave it to her ooh, five months ago and it's still in the packet. So that's not 
Please don't think I'm pointing at June. There is, I'm going somewhere with this. So it's out of the crucible of experience that we learn these ways. And last week we were worried about her health. She'd gone down and down and down. She came here the week before last, I think, and she looked deathly. So on the way home, Sue took her to the doctors. They took a blood test, which turned out to be normal. They took a pulse and a blood pressure, all normal. Begin to think, hello, hello. The issue is never the issue. And so we were majoring on her health, which seemed to be going downhill. What actually happened was that God was getting her to a place where she literally couldn't move. She went shopping and she felt faint. She, she just could not. She couldn't drive the car. She completely got stuck so that he could speak to her. So we begin to look for a spiritual reason for what is happening in the natural. So for whatever reason, the thing I have to major on this week is obedience. And this isn't the first time I've seen something like this. I think we told you before about the lady that stayed with us uh, when we were at Paddock Wood and we ended up calling the ambulance because she was fading fast. She was in bed and she was, we couldn't hear her voice. She was just going. And we thought this woman was dying on us. And yet right deep inside, and we're talking about 13, 14 years ago, I felt, don't call the ambulance. And I'm thinking, gotta call the ambulance. But something God had given me was, it was, it was Psalm 32, was it, Joyce? Mm. He'd given me this, you see, but in my panic, wouldn't you panic when you think someone's dying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sent for the ambulance. Psalm 32 verse 3 When I kept silent my bones grew old through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me my vitality was turned to the drought of summer I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you, gave the, the, you forgave the iniquity of my sin There's another one about Psalm 38 it says my back is filled with searing pain, I think. It depends on which version you've got. Psalm 38, head it up, heavy burden of sin. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath or chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor is there any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I'm bent over, I go about mourning all day long, for my loins are full of... And it's not nice, it goes on, I'm severely broken, little, 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 little. So I've got Psalm 32 for this lady. Um, and as far as I remember she denied there was anything wrong so off we all took was in the ambulance she was within an ace the next day of having a, um, a lumbar puncture by this time the Lord had shown us that it got nothing to do with physical she was in disobedience get her home don't let her go to, through this lumbar puncture so we upset the whole apple cart in the hospital didn't we 
because we said to her you have got to come home and address whatever it is God is saying to you and talking to you about well long story short they released her from the hospital not at all happy remember the doctor's face now uh, and it was a disobedience issue as soon as she addressed the issue that God was speaking to her about she was raised up and there was somebody else fairly recently I mean we have been through this with several people um, but I didn't look at it with June I didn't see it there I thought she was sick because she's had cold after cold after then she had a waterwork infection and physically she was going downhill so I didn't see it um, but I was talking to someone last night and I'm not at all sure there's some, there isn't something of the same kind going on there but I'm not about to poke my head over the parapet and tell them that so I'm not trying to frighten you God is love but there is something called the fear of the Lord which is just the beginning of wisdom and getting your fear in the right place we have to see him as he really is we can't play around with these things when we're not in knowledge God extends grace and mercy but when we are in knowledge he expects a response so you could say the next move is yours my computer told me that yesterday I was so surprised it said it was waiting for me to do something <laughs> it usually tells you improper command and you think mm, go away then but it's this time it said the next move is yours so as soon as June started to listen up her strength returned we had a conversation and I had to say to her look I think it could be along these lines I mean it was instant by the end of the conversation I said you feeling better she said yes I am her strength was returned like that because the minute we see what God is trying to get at he takes his hand off us so what I'm always saying to you girls is you need to know who's doing what to whom we have to find out what's going on in any given situation so now God has told her that she won't be coming back here until he tells her so she's to ask again at the end of April and you can guess that unless she's learnt this lesson at the end of April we won't be seeing her meanwhile she needs to stay away and he has said I will disciple you because I said I thought when she was stringing through the things that <clears throat> she can't get involved in I thought she said she, it was alright to be in the discipleship group but she said no no nothing nothing at all he said he is going to disciple me so I'm just using June as an example because God has called her out he's given her explicit instructions uh, and so he expected her to follow them he's not cross with her he's teaching her who he is and how he likes to do things and it goes against the grain with us because we've all lived in the last 10-15 years in, in the Father's heart yes but it's time to move on we know the Father's heart it's time to move on to find out what this Christian walk's all about. So, been doing that she shouldn't have been doing. She was responding to perceived demands and neglecting the things that God had told her to do. It is possible to be at the beck and call of everyone, thinking that this is what God would have you be doing, but when He's given you specific instructions, not unreasonably expects you to follow them. She said to me, "It's the way I am." I'm always like it in business. I get my teeth into something and I just go for it. If you'd seen her in there with 
the computer, you couldn't talk to her because she was so single-minded she was going to get that thing done. But in doing that, she lost touch, lost connection. Uh, and so, in the end, he has to pull her back. That's the key. From being led by the Spirit in what she was doing, she went hell for leather after the things she saw needed doing. She was firefighting. And God also said to her, um, Oasis has been reliant on you too. And she thought that was a word for me. And I thought, no, no, no. What God is saying is you have made Oasis dependent on you because you've said, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. See, I'm thinking she's got the yes to take these things, so I'm giving them to her, like the, like the thing we're doing. But she hadn't. And so she couldn't cope with them, and they weren't getting done, so they were getting stored away in a corner. So this is not, please don't misread me here. This is what is happening when we do things that we've not been asked to do. So she ended up firefighting, doing just the things that actually were sticking up that really needed to, to be done. I ended up relying on her in a way that God didn't intend, so it affected both of us, and it's brilliant, because I'm learning. And I'm having to relearn doing some things myself in terms of the administration here, which I had actually handed over. Well, that's okay. I can take them back and do them again. Guess what God is doing with me? Could he be dealing with my heart? Here I'm expecting my a circulation list, which I needed to send out for the conference, updated. comes back to me in the same state as it went away. I'm expecting CDs copied and labelled up properly. They're not there or else there's ten of one copy and none of another. So what's gonna to happen to me in that? Am I gonna say, Oh well praise the Lord, bless June, you know. Well, I'll tell you what happened to me. I felt irritated. I have to be absolutely honest because that's how I felt. Irritated. And I said, Lord, I'm ever so sorry, I've got the wrong attitude here. I feel irritated. Because I was relying on this. I thought this was going to get done. So he was silent on the issue, as he is so often. Sat on the bed there the other morning, talking to him about it and saying, look, I'm trying not to be irritated. And he said, I want you to forgive her and release her, please. So I said, Father, I do. I just forgive her and release her completely. Within 10 minutes, June and I were having a conversation. And she said to me, I'm ever so sorry, I feel as if I've let you down. I said, sweetheart, don't give it another thought. Is God good or is he good? Because from my heart I could say, doesn't matter, it's teaching us all something. But I would have been less than honest if I hadn't told you how I actually felt, which was irritated. I didn't feel angry, I just feel irritated. Mad with myself for not checking things. I've been I've been in a position of authority before. I've had people working for me. So I should have been actually checking up on what was going on. In fact, I did try to. But June would always say, yeah, I'm doing that in a minute. Or that's getting done on Wednesday or something like that. So I was reassured, you know. But uh, see, God is such an economist that he was dealing with my heart as well. And I, I had to... I, 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 really was surprised at myself at the irritation because I thought I mustn't feel like that but I do so he's used the whole situation to now of course 
come the weekend I'm faced with a conference to do and not knowing how to work anything sound system so what does that press me into total dependence and where there's a problem there's provision and what did I prove provision Carol was there to see to the WhatsApp and when Carol went Sue looked after the WhatsApp the PA was so simple a, a child could have done it plug that in switch that on turn that on there and it works that was all there was to it all this mystique that was around the PA disappeared in a puff of smoke I come home and David is here oh show me I'll put them on for you I'll run them off for you. that was done where there's a problem there's provision so what I'm saying to you is whatever you've got in your life right now get it before God and say okay okay what are you showing me here because if you will humble yourself he will show you so much and your growth is huge because every situation is put there to grow you on a bit it's not put there if you say oh flipping heck now they've let me down look at that you know I mean I never got as far as that I was just okay thinking that he didn't want it recorded and he said to me I want it recorded oh good <laughs> that's okay then you've got that all in hand you see don't you how he teaches us things but it's in the crucible of experience that we live it out and so what I'm saying is what you're learning here you will live out in the crucible of experience you it will happen that lovely picture that dream that Mary had of all the birds of different colours coming in and they were all in the little groups these little birds and the seed was on the floor and they were all brightly coloured and eating their seed and you're gonna, it's going to happen <coughs> I mean you could say isn't the work important here isn't she needed here um, but one thing you absolutely must know about God is that he demands obedience to himself he doesn't ask for it, he demands it so we are disobedient to our own hurt um, God had given June her terms of employment when she left it was Barclays wasn't it mm -hmm. and somehow she'd strayed away and was doing the stuff he hadn't asked her to do because she loved to do it loving to do it I'm have to say is not necessarily a sign that is what God wants you doing you have to be aware of that it's not going to be necessarily what you want to do she took on things that she couldn't actually do as I said and in his kindness he's reining her in she's fine now spoke to her a couple of days ago possibly ring her today or tomorrow whenever the Lord says I can the first time was really quite strange I was sitting out there saying I'll give June a ring tonight I think Lord if that's alright and I was talking it over with him and all of a sudden he said ring her now it was about quarter past three in the afternoon I rang her and she said I think I'm going mad I said oh, I knew I had to ring you now <laughs> so we took the whole thing through and that was when she really began to see the wood for the trees and in his kindness and grace you see he got he showed me first and then he got me to ring her so it's, it's absolutely brilliant so there is a scripture that says behold the goodness and severity of God but his goodness and his severity always line up with each other because they're always for our good he never ever corrects us for his good not like our parents you know shut that television off I can't stand it in it's not that sort of thing 
So we can't be casual anymore about the things of the kingdom. The king is here and demands to be heard and obeyed, and that is not unreasonable. So, as I said, I found out so much of his provision during this time, uh, dumped down in a situation that I had no idea how to deal with, and he's richly provided. And the long and short of it is that both my computers have been having a field day, but instead of getting in a panic, I've just thought, okay, Father, what do I do here now? I mean, even this morning, that one froze up upstairs, and I'm saying, it's frozen again, Lord, what do I do? You know, instead of normally, I'd be absolutely paralysed because I don't know what to do. Isn't that the case? If you're out of control, you're paralysed. Don't we need to be in control so that we feel comfortable? But I'm out of control, but I know where the provision is. So I'm getting more and more to look to him immediately. I had an email from David this morning. I haven't fully looked at it, but I loved the site, the website that he made us in the first place. It was pretty and I liked it. And then this other one sort of was... Um, brought into thing but it wasn't what I'd wanted or anything but it's God had a purpose in it so what he's doing is bringing the two sites together and the information on the one is going to you know and then he's going to teach me how to update it so as I can put when there's conferences on and hopefully have I said this already and hopefully we're going to uh, be able to mp3 stuff and it's actually from being a squeezed place it's going to be a wide place so the work that we do here, the work in inverted commas, is absolutely secondary <coughs> to our relationship with God. And if I preach works, you've got to stop me. It's all about relationship and he doesn't need any of us. He can fully well do everything that needs to be done without my assistance. My place and yours is to seek first and only the kingdom of God, his reign and rule in your life plus nothing. So we've got two things going on here, the theory and the practical. As I said, God loves to make things real in our experience. It's not enough to learn about how he deals with us and all the theory each week. He then loves to make it real by the situations and circumstances that come our way. Don't try to duck out of them. They're your growth opportunities. He will dump you down in circumstances and he will engineer circumstances. And both are designed to press you into himself and to reveal your attitudes. I mean, as a side issue, he revealed my attitude towards the situation. So ultimately, if I'm irritated with June, who am I irritated with? I'm irritated with him because he's allowed it, hasn't he? That's, that's the ultimate. Whenever you're annoyed with anyone, who are you annoyed with? Well, ultimately, you're mad with God because he's allowed that. So you've got to have a look and see where if you press it to its limit, you're actually mad with. You've actually allowed this to happen, Lord. Yeah, better get used to it. I do. Allows in his wisdom what he can easily prevent by his power. And he does it to cause us to be utterly dependent on him and ultimately to bring forth the image of his son in us. That's his agenda. If you've got any other agenda for your life, put it down, because it isn't going to happen. You are his child, and he deals with his children as he thinks fit. So don't resist him. 
As I said last week, you only delay your own growth by resisting him. And some of us are behind because we've consistently resisted him, thinking we're resisting other people to our own hurt. You can actually ask for an acceleration today and he'll bring you up to speed. You remember the story of the woman with the locked room and a 20-year-old boy in a cot? All these years I've loved you and you haven't known me. I find that very moving because that's God's heart on his sleeve. All these years I have loved you and you haven't known me. Everything he does is done in love and for our good. The thing is that we have to get to know him as he is, not as we would like him to be. And this could possibly be one of the things that's happening in the church now. He's showing us himself as he really is. The supreme majesty of majesties. So we see his train sweeping past us. He is the supreme majesty of majesties. So if you've chosen the unknown path, and even if you haven't, you remember Chris Larkin's prophecy of the two pathways? If you've chosen the unknown path, you will have chosen the narrow way, and you'll find yourself in the hands of God right now. And not only will you find yourself in the hands of God, but you will experience the hand of God upon you, and there is a difference. June said something interesting, because I thought she had chosen the narrow path, and so therefore she was in a squeezed place. And she said, no, God said, no, that isn't the case. Because she said, I actually hadn't chosen either at all. And God said to her, I prepare the pathway for you. And virtually what you're saying is, I cause you to choose the pathway that I know is best for you. So whatever pathway you have chosen, because it still allows, it's, this is the predestination thing. But he knows the choices we're going to make. He knows what is best for us and he takes us in that path that is best while still allowing our free choices. It's like when you come into uh, Christianity, someone said that there's, a, there's a, an archway that says, you know, um, if you believe, you know, you come into eternal life. And then you get the other side of it and it says, your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. Both are true because he knows absolutely everything. He's not thinking, my goodness, what are they going to do next? What? How can I head them off? At he knows everything. All the choices you're going to make, everything. doesn't mean you're going to make good ones or right ones, but he knows them. So if you've made a conscious choice about the two pathways, um, you're no longer going to be able to get away with the childish behaviour before God. It just isn't going to be winked at anymore. And June is a case in point. Though she said she hadn't made a conscious choice, she had actually lost sight of her terms and conditions of employment, <laughs> which were brilliant, weren't they? She brought them and read us out for it. I wouldn't mind that all written down. You've got them, yes, I know, yes, yes, yes. So he's lovely. Everything he does is to show us his ways with us. And we would do well to learn from this, because if we, we learn from what other people have experienced, we can say, I'm going there, I'm not going there. I remember, I think it was a book by F.B. Mayer, and he said, uh, in a moment of emotion, we promise God all sorts of things, and then in the cold light of day, he comes to collect. This is often the case, isn't it? We're on a high, we don't count the cost, and God says, your son, give me your son, like your son, as he said to Abraham. 
Notice he didn't ask that of Abraham till he knew that Abraham trusted him. Because Abraham had to wait for this boy. He was the apple of his eye. He was probably old enough to be his grandfather. The boy's about 11 by the time God says, I'll have your son. But he trusted God because by this time he knows him. He said to me the other day, I will never give you more than you can handle. So if you've got more than you can handle on your plate right now, he hasn't given it you. He won't give it to you more than you can handle. Because the word of God says he never tests us above that which we're able without showing us a way of escape. And sometimes it's a pair of legs. Particularly if you're in a sexual situation, you lose your legs. Like young Joseph tried to run away from Potiphar's wife, didn't he? And she grabbed his cloak and then accused him. But God gave him a pair of legs to tail it out of there. As I've heard it said, I think Graham said, he could have thought to himself, well, it's been hard old road, I deserve a bit of R&R, &R. I'll uh, you know, have a bit of this. But he maintained his integrity to the end of it. If you maintain your integrity, God will vindicate you. I won't bore you with what's going on with Stephen at the moment, but uh, he phoned out this morning when I was getting ready and he said, bit of manna just dropped into my life, Mum. <laughs> He's so funny. He's just so funny. It's too complicated to go into, but it, it's just so funny the way he says it. You know, it's got to be God, Mum. Yet, ostensibly, we all know where he stands, but God's reading him in. Bit of manna dropped in. So to go back to, to June, uh, what happened there and the other people I mentioned, when the hand of God is heavy on you, you're in a stuck place. Joyce actually said to me the day before all this sort of opened out, she's in a stuck place. And I thought, is she? I thought she was sick. But of course she was in a stuck place. And when you're in a stuck place, his hand is heavy on you and you can't get away from him and his dealings. And he will lay you low, often physically. And it's not unkindness. He needs to stop you. And you won't like this one. He brings you the quickest way you will come. It's all to do with your willingness to come the way he brings you. You choose your route and your speed. So if you resist him and he keeps chasing you, he brings you the quickest way you will come. There's absolutely no point in procrastinating with God because he ain't going to give up and go away. So when you know he's been chasing you about something, just stop and say, okay. Yes. Because he's not going to say, oh, well, he's not going to do it. Oh, no. mm -hmm. Don't go down the tubes when he shows you what it is. Just remember what it's all about. And he will humble you. And by this, I mean he'll take away your support system. When God said to the people of uh, Israel in the wilderness, I led you these 40 years to humble you and to prove you and to test what was in your heart, humbling in that ex sense, in the Hebrew meaning of the word, means to take away your supports. That's literally what the word means. So he pulls away your supports. You're relying on your pension? I'll have it. Relying on the man next door, I'll have it. 
It will take away the things until the only person you rely on is him. So it's at that time you need to remember what choices you've made regarding the two pathways, Christian city or God himself. But as I say, I, don't, I think we're in a time where uh, our choices are being narrowed down. So he takes us very seriously when we make choices and he does hear when you choose. And he doesn't condemn you whichever way you choose to go because he knows what the cost of following the narrow path is. But don't think you're going to get away with it by choosing the wide path because there are tolls to pay on that one as well. <laughs> you are his. You have to settle it. You don't belong to yourself. And those of you who have gone through the Experiencing God course know that early on Henry Blackaby says, uh, Settle it. God loves you. You have to settle this or you'll forever wrestle with what life brings along for you and what he allows in his wisdom that he could easily prevent by his power. Because you will wrestle with his ways with you unless you understand them. He knows which choice you'll make and he knows the consequences of that choice. Those of you who have chosen the singular pathway where you will hear nothing but his voice will be experiencing being in the hands of God and possibly the hand of God on you. Don't be dismayed. Because whom the Lord loves he chastens. Don't faint when you are rebuked of him. That's Hebrews 12.5. It's part of your process, part of the outworking of your choice. Matthew 17.3 says, Enter at the straight gate. Shall we have a little look open? So not Matthew 17, Matthew 7 I hope I've got the right scripture this time and please tell me if I haven't still leaving it till later 13 oh boy I've got the right one Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. His sayings were hard. And maybe there's more to this than we thought. Uh, usually we use it as a way to bring in people into the kingdom and we use it as scripture broad is the way you know that uh, leads to the destruction and narrow is the way but what if it's the two pathways that stand before Christians the Lord apprehends you and you're converted and you turn around but that's one interpretation it's only the start of your Christian walk salvation in itself is the beginning not the end you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Someone said to me when I was preparing this, when you become a Christian, you hear about surrender, you wonder, how on earth do I do that? And she concluded 25 years later, it was a day at a time. It brings us the easiest way we will come. But then comes the time to ask for choices. Remember Chris's words said that there were tolls to be paid along the road on both pathways and there is room for just two of you Jesus and you comes right down to you and the Lord and this narrow stricture is a straight gate and it's made narrow by pressure all the world Christian city is going this way and some are saying 
there's more to this Christian life and I want to find out where it is and what it's like. There's a gate to go through and when we're through it we find life with a capital L because we lose our life to find it. Because the other side of this gate we begin to live kingdom style. We're in a broad place but a place of no distraction, distractions. Our focus is him and him alone and we get to choose which path we will tread. So narrow is the way and that leads to life and few there be that find it. It isn't about going to heaven when you die. This is talking about a gate through which we pass in order to come into life and freedom, the abundant life which Jesus spoke about in John 10.10. 10. To many Christians, life is an American Express card, two swimming pools and a car, or two cars and a swimming pool. So Jesus is saying here, many people are going this way. If you follow me, I'll take you down this narrow place and I'll strip everything and everybody from you. Because as you pass through this narrow stricture called obedience, the Lord has this strange way of asking for just the one thing you don't want to give him. If you can hear this message, it will save you much pain. He just wants that, and we've touched this before, that you hold dearest because it is holding you. You are not free, it's holding you. Be sure of that. The thing you won't let go of, it has you, you don't have it. Whatever it is, you are in bondage to it. It has you because you think you know what's best and you are determined to keep control of it, whatever it is. I've told you this story before when God asked me years ago to let go of Stephen. Uh, it was wrung out of me, just wrung out of me, but I let him go. Doesn't mean I don't love him. I love him with God's love now, not with my own. He's free from me and there is no hook. I'm not a mother that says, like I know my cousin does, they didn't send me a Mother's Day card, didn't send me a Christmas card. Love with a hook. Always self-referential. I love you, but you need to be doing this for me, because otherwise I don't feel that you're giving me what's due my due. As we unpick this whole uh, Eros Agape thing, we're going to find out just how selfish human love it is. I mean, it is shocking. We protect that which is closest to us because we want to own it and control it and keep it. Possess it, control it. Eros, for want of a better word. Kingdom love is agape. It lets go of what it loves and puts it into the hands of the one who gave it in the first place. How many of you know that he gives and takes away? Thank you. So, if you can hear this, God in his wisdom knows what has you. Is it possible for someone to have a ministry or is it possible for a ministry to have someone? Is it possible to have a huge house and a car and is it possible for a huge house and a car to have you? Is it possible to have money and money have you? Sure thing. Remember I told you the story about the fish tank. Whatever you set your love on in your fallen nature has you. you. When you are transformed by the love of God, you don't hold on to that thing. You let it go and you can give it back. And then he will give it back to you because it doesn't have you anymore. But don't hold your breath as you let go because he knows you're doing it. You won't be free until you let go of that thing. 
and God will take you through the straight gate and it will pop off and on the other side is freedom and life. The reason the Lord jams you through this little gate is to strip off all the things that you think are so valuable and that are eating you up, all the things that you have that have you, friends and desires. Many young people who want to walk with the Lord are not walking with him because of their friends. So he strips friends, public opinion, ideas, plans, money, holidays, family, tropical fish, if that's your uh, thing. You know, Bob Mumford told the story about the man who loved the tropical fish and he's gazing at his tank one day and the Lord said, get rid of that. And he said, I rebuke you, devil. And God said again, get rid of those things. Three weeks it goes on. And finally he says, I can't, I won't. And then finally I'll give them away and the Lord says, no, get rid of them. So he flushes them down the toilet, broke Tim's heart, this did, when I told him. <laughs> and he's just putting the tank on the top of the cupboard when the Lord says, what are you doing? Get rid of the bowl. <laughs> so he gets rid of the bowl. It's called obedience. If you don't understand why God asks for certain things, then you're not willing to give them up. Few there be that understand. I'm free, but you're mean is likely to be our reaction to something like that. Suppose he says, I don't want you to go out and hand out any more tracts and go on any more missions. That's got to be the devil, surely. Is it possible to get such enjoyment out of doing these things that we miss God's purpose? Is it possible to be, for me to be so caught up in ministry that I miss the will of God? Of course it is. If I've set on ministry because I see a need, ministry can become my God. When he forces you through this thing, he strips from you friends, money, cars, houses, possessions, things, people, hobbies, ideas and plans. didn't know you were going to be here this morning when I wrote this. I know a young man who wanted to be a helicopter pilot. It was his passion. did everything to get his license. Did it have him? He sure did. He would say he couldn't go on living if he couldn't be a helicopter pilot. God may just require of him that desire. And when he stripped him of it, he can give it back. But he can't take it through the narrow gate. What's the difference on the other side? Jesus is first, helicopter pilot second. It's all about priorities. God's, he will be all. You get to choose how easy it will be. He brings us the easiest way we will come. Whatever is holding you right now, let it go. You can't have it and freedom. You can have it back when it doesn't hold you. He says, oh, if you'll pass through the stripping process, I'll show you what life is all about. The issue in the scriptures is not heaven and hell, it's life and death. Do you have life working in you or do you have death working in you? The rich man and the eye of the needle. Jesus is saying, you can't take that money through with you. It's easier, he says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So he strips you, jams you through the narrow gate, so that on the other side of it you relate differently to the thing. Any time, any place, anything, God can deal with and run it through that gate. Is it possible to wrongly relate to my children? Of course it is. As I've already said, the minute I said, you can have him, he's yours, he was handed back and there's no there's such a thing as having a wrong hold on your children doesn't mean you're not caring for them looking after them but there can be something that becomes possessive and it possesses you because then what they do 
has a knock-on effect towards you to the extent that it actually distorts your own life. So the narrow way through the gate of obedience leads to life and the whole issue is life and death. You can have it back when it doesn't hold you. You hold it lightly. Jesus first. He says, if you pass through this stripping process, I'll show you what life is all about. Thank you and God bless you.